0: Have you ever bought a book and not read it? Confession time. Raise your hand if you've ever bought a book that you haven't read. We all have, right? Of course you have. Why do we do this is my question this morning. Why do we buy books that we don't read? I do it. You've done it. I have books on my shelf that I have not read that I probably will never read. In fact, there's this section on my bookshelves. If you're in my office, most of my books are organized by topic or in some way that makes sense in my head, even if it doesn't make sense to anyone else. And I usually know where to find one. But then there's one section of books in a particular place that are all jumbled together that really have no relation to one another except... They are the shelf of books that I have bought but have not read, and I intend to read. Eventually, now, I'll take them down and just file them because I'm like, I'm never going to get to this. This goes in this section. This goes in this section, but we buy books, and we don't always read them. Why? Maybe you like the look of it. Maybe you like the smell of it. Confession. Confession. I like the smell of some books and don't like the smell of others. That's just a weird thing on me. But maybe you like, maybe someone recommended it to you and you thought, oh, that sounds great and I'll probably read it. Maybe it's a book you'd like to read. Maybe it's a book you think someone who you want to be, the person you want to be, like should read. Like, I'd like people to think of me as someone who knows American literature well, so I'm going to buy this book, but you never read it. And you heard, oh, Tolstoy, I've heard of him. (laughs) And so you've got a copy of Anna Karenina or War and Peace on your shelf, but you've never read it. Oh, I should read more poetry. And I've got a copy of Longfellow's poems on my shelves, and I've read maybe two of them. Why do we do this? We buy books and we don't really read them. We all do it. We all have done it. My question for you this morning, though, is, is the Bible one of those books for you? Is the Bible one of those books that, and man, I tell you what, the Bible probably more than any other, man, you can get this, you can get a pretty looking book. Uh, You can get a leather cover, you can get gold or silver on the page, you can get real leather, you can get bonded leather, you can put them up on your shelf, and it could look really good. But is the Bible one of those books that you've bought, that you have, but you don't really read? We're talking about some of the best things you can do this year and last week, Justin did a great job here of sharing that some of the best things that we think you can do this year are the things that no one will see. That of all the resolutions you make publicly of what you will do, of all the things that you commit to what you will do, many of them may be things that people will see, but we think the most important thing and the greatest thing you're going to do in 2017 are the things that nobody will see, that nobody is going to see. All of your public things may be affected mostly by what you choose to do or choose not to do in private, what you do with that place that nobody sees. We believe that the life that is built below the waterline, below the ground, the foundation of the building, is going to have much more an impact on who you are than all that stuff that many times people see. Number one resolution that people made in 2017, according to a Marist College poll, is to be a better person. Now, as ambiguous and vague as that is, the truth is, how are you going to do it? Because I think we'd all like to be better people. But the way to be better people in the place where people see and the way to be better God followers and Christ followers is really about the things that you do that nobody sees. Sometimes the things that you do that nobody sees are going to have much more of a lasting legacy than the things that everybody sees. 1947, It was a shepherd walking through the desert, a little west of the Dead Sea, and he was just walking through with a couple of his cousins doing the thing that Bedouin shepherds do on a normal day, and he started to see in the distance what looked like a cave, so he walked towards it. Went towards those caves and he started to look in and research and look into those caves. And in those caves, he found some jars. And so he was curious and so he broke one of the jars. Broke a couple of the jars. Inside those jars, they found scrolls, parchments rolled up. Didn't really know what they were. Didn't really know what to make of them, but they took a couple of them with them. Brought them back to their village. Didn't their village? Their village elders really didn't know what to make of them. They kind of hung them on a tent post and and didn't know much what to do with them. They asked a few people, and no one really knew what they were and thought maybe they're of some value, but couldn't tell. So they took it to some dealers, and one person said, "Oh, they're they're useless. They're not of any value at all. In fact, they're probably stolen from a synagogue. So you should be careful." Took him to another dealer and he kept one to look at. Sold a couple others for what accounts to about 30 bucks in today's dollars. Eventually, they found their way to a scholar named Dr. Trevor who became interested in them. Dr. Trevor started to do a little research on these scrolls that they had found started to look into how old they were, started to look at the language that was written on them and what he knew about history and measuring it against history. And then what he determined was that the scrolls were very old. In fact, some of them dating back to 200 BC. What they had discovered, or what we know today as the Dead Sea Scrolls, Probably the largest and most significant archaeological find in history to date when it comes to the Holy Scriptures. Prior to the discovery of these Bedouin shepherds out in the desert, the oldest manuscript we had of Bible documents de- dated to about 10, the 10th century AD. This backed it up a thousand years to 200 BC, more than 1000 years, to 200 BC. And it was the most significant discovery that could have made. Because what it did is it showed that the scriptures that you hold in your hands are the scriptures that were actually written when they were written. It brought history back and brought those archaeological documents back. And it was significant for scholars, but it was significant for all people who trust in the Bible to see that the words that were written have not been changed over time, but are actually the words that were written. I tell you that story for this reason this morning. Because somewhere around the first century or second century, there was this little community of Qumran that we really know nothing about. And we don't even know why they did it. There's speculation why they hid all these scrolls. But for some reason, they took these holy scriptures and put them in jars in about 10 or 12, 14 caves and hid them all around the Dead Sea. And because they were packaged in jars and because of all the minerals in the Dead Sea and everything that's there, they were preserved so that 1,700 years later, a couple of shepherds find some jars and make the most significant archaeological discovery of ancient documents perhaps ever in history. And I tell you that for this reason, because sometimes the things that you do in private, the things that you do that nobody sees in the same way may have the most significant impact down the road than those things that everybody sees. If you had asked anyone who the Qumran people were a couple hundred years ago or even, you know, 80 or 90 years ago, they'd say, I don't even know what you're talking about. It must have been some group of no significance whatsoever. And yet they have the greatest impact on the fact, the, the accuracy of this text of any other discovery. What they did in private had a long-term impact. What you do in private what you do with that time that nobody sees may have more to do with your legacy than anything else. Because the truth is, we're all kind of living obscure lives, aren't we? I mean, as public as you may be, in the grand scheme of things, we're all pretty obscure. In fact, just this past week, Carrie Fisher, um, many of you uh, are aware in the news, Carrie Fisher, most known for her role as Princess Leia in the Star Wars Uh, series. Um, They were having a funeral service for her, and I heard a quote by her that I had never heard before. She said in 2011, celebrity is obscurity biding its time. Celebrity is obscurity biding its time. In other words, we're all living obscure lives. Maybe you find yourself in the spotlight for a little while. Maybe you find yourself and people know your name for a little while. But in the grand scheme of things, history is probably going to forget most of us. But God does some of his best work with people of obscurity. God does some of his best work with people who you may never have heard of, and yet he accomplishes some of his greatest work in the obscure lives of ordinary people. An obscure shepherd named David, who nobody knew, becomes the greatest king in all of Israel's history. An obscure couple named Joseph and Mary, who nobody knew, become the parents Of our Messiah and Lord Jesus Christ. And so God does some of His greatest work in obscurity, and He is working in obscurity in your life. He is working in those places that nobody sees. And this morning, what I want to talk to you about very quickly and very briefly is what you do in your private time with this. What do you do with God's word in that time in your life? And what is your goal in 2017? Because we are convinced that what you do with this scripture in your private time is going to have a greater impact on your life publicly than probably perhaps anything else that you choose to do in 2017. So let me give you from this passage that James read in Matthew chapter 4 three quick things of what Jesus did when it came to his life on earth, and it comes to the Word of God. And just three words, learn, love, and live. And we've talked about these three words a number of times at Mount Hope recently, but I want to apply them specifically to the Word of God this morning. The learning of the Word of God, the loving of the Word of God, and living out the Word of God. Because the truth is, the greatest protection you and I have of being able to live the life that God has called us to live is this word of God that he has given you. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 says it this way. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you read the entirety of Psalm 119, you'll see it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and the entire thing is about how important and valuable God's Word is. I picked out this little section for us to see this. You might say, yes, I want to live a pure life in 2017. I want to live a life that is clean. I want to live a life before God that is pure and clean. How do you do it? By living according to your Word. I want to live a life in 2017 that does not sin against God. How do I do it? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I want to seek you with all my heart in 217. Well, do not stray from God's commands. So you and I go into this year and we say, yeah, I'd like to resist temptation. I'd like to live a pure life. I'd like to not sin in 2017. I'd like to, as some people would put it, just be a better person. It comes and it starts with the Word of God. It starts with the Scriptures. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, what we see is Jesus learned the Scriptures. This is maybe a strange-sounding thing to your ears and to my ears to say that Jesus learned because Jesus was the Son of God. And we think, well, Jesus just knew. He didn't learn. But the truth is Jesus became a man and as he became human, Luke chapter 2 verse 52 said he increased in wisdom and knowledge and stature and favor with God and man. In other words, he didn't just show up as a full grown man, he grew. grew physically, he grew in knowledge, he grew in wisdom. See, we mistake a lack of knowledge maybe with sinning. A lack of knowledge is not sin. Learning is not sinning. You can learn and not sin. And Jesus did; he grew in knowledge and learning. And what did he learn? Well, in this first instance of he shows up on the scene, the temptation in the desert. What we learn is he learned the holy scriptures, because he says three times as he confronts Satan, "It is written, it is written, it is written." He learned the scriptures. He spent time in the synagogue. He spent time in home, at home, learning the scriptures and learning what uh, had been written there, and learning the Holy Word of his father. And so you and I are also called to learn the scriptures to learn what it says. It's not enough just to own the book. You also have to learn what it says. So what's your plan? What's your plan in 2017 to do that? How are you going to learn the scriptures? I'm going to share with you a tool in just a moment. I'm glad you asked how to do that because what I'm really excited about is just at the end of this message in a few minutes, I'm going to share with you a tool that uh, we came across that I think is going to be really helpful for you. So, learn the scriptures is the first thing. The second thing is Jesus loved the scriptures, Jesus loved the scriptures. There's a difference between learning something and loving it. You can notice in this passage in Matthew chapter 4. Actually, go to the next slide, guys. The next slide, you'll see the devil also used the scriptures. It says that the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. Words of Satan. For it is written. In other words, Satan says, I've learned the scriptures too. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up uh, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan is trying to use the scriptures against Jesus. For it is written. Satan learned it too, but Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the ward, your God, to the test. What's the difference? The difference is Satan had learned the scriptures. Jesus loved the scriptures. The difference is you can learn something for an academic value and to serve your own purposes in your own heart or you can learn something because of the person that you love and because of God who gave the scriptures. It was a very big difference. When I was in seminary, I remember a class where a student said to the professor, I'm not getting anything out of my personal devotions. And the professor said, well, what are you doing for your personal devotions? And as a good seminary student, maybe trying to impress his professor, I don't know, the student said, well, I I get up in the morning, and I take out my Hebrew Bible, and I take out my Greek Bible, and I read a verse in Hebrew, and I translate it, and I parse the words and the verse, and then I go to the New Testament, and I read a verse in the original Greek and I parse the words and I and and I study them and and then I pray and I move on. And the professor said, Well, said you're not getting anything out of your devotions because you're not reading it for life. You're reading it just as a textbook. You're reading it and and parsing it and taking it apart, but you're not reading it to gain any life. You're not reading it as it was written. You're reading it just as a textbook. And the truth is, some of us can learn the scriptures without loving them. There are professors at secular universities that know the words in this book inside and out, that can tell you what they say in their original languages, that can tell you where they came from, that can tell you chapter and verse where a reference is found perhaps better than you or I could do. But they're not words of life to them. There's a difference between learning and loving the Word of God and loving the God of the Word. Differences like this. um, Suppose you're dating somebody, or remember when you were dating your spouse. When I was dating Wendy, I wanted to learn everything about her. Right? Maybe it's like that. Right? People who are dating, you get to that point. You want to learn everything about that person. I want to know about your family. I want to know about your your dad and your mom. I want to know about where you grew up and what that was like. I want to know about uh, what your friends were like. I want to know uh, you know the the places and the people. What you like? What your favorites are? What you don't like? You want to learn all this stuff about them. Why? Because you are falling in love with this person contrast that to someone else who wants to know everything about you they want to know everything about you this other person they want to know your social security number they want to know the high school you graduated from your best friend's name in high school oh they want to know the name of your first pet your father's middle name first name your mother's maiden name her father's name. They want all the information they can get. In fact, if they can get a copy of your fingerprint, they would love it. Because the identity thief wants all the information that they can get on you. They want to learn all they can about you. Just like the person who was dating wants to know all about that person only, they're using the information for completely different purposes, right? Because one is learning because they love the person and the other is learning for their own selfish gain. You and I can come to this word and if we don't love the God of this word, we're going to make it say whatever we want it to say. We're going to make it serve us instead of us serving God. See, there's a difference. When, when you and I come to this book, it's unlike any other book. When I come to this book, I sit under it, not over it, right? I, I let it judge me and don't judge it. And there's a difference. And so, so we come to this book and it's not only learning it, but there's also a love for it that's important, a love for God. Jesus loved God. So he didn't twist the scriptures. Second, thirdly, and finally, Jesus lived out the scriptures. He lived it out. So he learned it. He loved it. And then when the rubber meets the road and the devil comes and temptation comes, what does he do? When it gets hard and he's tempted to turn, the devil says, turn the stone into bread. Pretty reasonable request for someone who's been fasting 40 days, 40 nights. I mean, it's not that big a deal, especially for Jesus. I mean, later, he's going to feed thousands of people who just missed a meal. He's going to do it twice. He's going to feed thousands of people with bread and fish who simply missed a meal or two. He's been fasting 40 days. And just make a loaf of bread. Just turn a piece of stone into a loaf of bread and eat. And it seems like a reasonable request. And if you don't know the word of God and you're not committed to loving God, then sure, why not? God created taste. God created appetite. God created bread. It's good. Why not? No problem. And yet Jesus says, he recognizes it for what it is because Satan started it, if you are the son of God. And he responds, no, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. Because though you're asking me for something I could do, though you're asking me for something that may in other circumstances not be wrong to do, when I know the word of God in this circumstance, I know that it would be wrong. And when you know the word of God, there'll be times where you'll be faced with a temptation that in other places may be okay to do. But knowing the word of God, knowing who God is, that you might know in this situation, this would be wrong for me to do you know the Word of God and you sit under it. I mean, I think of something as simple as the intimate relationship between a man and a woman that God has created to be lived out in covenant marriage between a husband and a wife. The difference between uh, sex is something that God created, not as something evil, not as something terrible, but something beautiful as long as it's at the right time and in the right place. But if you don't know the Word of God, and if you have not committed to loving the Word of God and submitting yourself to the Word of God, it can easily say, well, it's something good. It's something God created. It's something gave as a gift. So what's the big deal? No, it is written. I fall and apply that Word to my life, and I sit under it, not over it. So the difference. So we are called to live the Word of God. Learn it, love it, live it, such that in your time, when you come against those places of temptation, when you this year will be tempted to walk a life of impurity, tempted to a place of sinning, that it's the Word of God that will keep you from it. If you learn without loving, the Bible's like a textbook. If you love without learning, the Bible's like a family Bible that you keep on a coffee table. You ever see one of these big family Bibles? You know, maybe you have one. There's nothing wrong with having one. But maybe you have, you know, you have this big family Bible that we keep on the coffee table. And oh, it's a beautiful family Bible. I mean, my grandmother had it and it's got all of our genealogies in it and it's got notes in it. It's beautiful. But all it does is sit on table. I love that Bible. We love the Bible. Oh, we love, yeah, we love God's word. You ever read it? No, we don't read it, but we love the Bible. When you love without learning, you start creating idols. Having the Bible, oh yeah, we've got the Bible, we love the Bible. I got it on my phone, I got it on my iPad, I got it on my computer, I got the U version, I got the you me version, I got all the versions, I got it everywhere. Do you ever read it? No, I don't read it. If you love it without learning it, you won't live it. If you learn it without loving it, you won't live it. You have to learn it, you have to love it, and then it translates into a life of living it. The Bible's not there to be treated like a Google or a reference book. It's the word of God given to you and given to me. So how do you do it? How do you do it? I'm going to ask uh, the ushers at this point to hand you out a Bible reading plan that uh, that we want to give you this year. We give you a Bible reading plan every year, um, and this year is no different. And but there are some kind of extra resources I want to introduce you to this year. So look, I take a we take a Sunday out of doing this every year, and I take every year to hand you out a Bible reading plan because for honestly, I think it's the most significant thing you can do in 2017 for your walk with God. And more, more than anything else, I can't think of anything else I would want you to do as your pastor other than spend time every day reading God's word. Ultimately, our hope, I love that we are here on Sundays and we gather together, but ultimately our hope is that you will become to a place where you can feed yourself from the word of God that you come to the word of God and you are able to feed yourself on that word. Just as Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And you are getting fed daily from that word of God. I think this front row up here, guys, is missing some. Um, I'm seeing quizzical looks on their faces. Uh, Anyone else missing some? Anyone else missing a Bible reading plan? Lift your hand. We've got plenty. Um, So we want you to be able to feed yourself. One way I encourage you to do this is to have a Bible reading plan. You don't have to use a Bible reading plan. I just find it's helpful. What I do every other year, so every, my plan is, it changes. My plans change personally, but I'll tell you what I, the kind of schedule I keep. Every other year, my goal is to read through the entire Bible at least once. Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, whole Bible. And then, the years in between, I take a plan that's going to focus specifically on the New Testament or on parts of the New Testament. Um, so last year was my year to focus on the New Testament. Um, and so what I did was, I, my plan was to read one gospel and then through the rest of the New Testament, go back and read the next gospel and then the rest of the New Testament. So I read Matthew and then Acts through Revelation finish that, go back and read Mark, and then Acts through Revelation, Luke, and then Acts through Revelation. And that was just my plan for the year to focus, get through the New Te- most of the New Testament four times, each of the Gospels once, and to focus on that. Mm-hmm. The previous one I did on the New Testament was, my goal was to read through Paul's letters every month so that I would read um, you know, uh, all of Paul's letters 12 times during the year. And that was just particular thing i thought god wanted me to do so but every other year my goal is to read through the entire bible and this is one of my years that i'm going to read through the entire bible and we're we're um admonishing we're, we're suggesting to you we're offering to you a resource called the bible project this is one of the few times i am going to tell you to do this take out your phone in church Turn it on if it's off and take out your phone. If if you've got a smartphone, I'm sorry, if you don't have a smartphone, you don't have to take out your phone. But if you have a smartphone, take out your phone and either go to the App Store or the Google Play Store and search Bible Project. We may crash our Wi-Fi with all of you on it, but uh, search Bible Project. And there'll be an app there called Scripture Reader. So what is unique about this plan this year is you can see in the right uh, column, there's a column called video. And so you've got this plan this year. Uh, It's really unique, and I love what they do. It links with an app on your phone. It can link with a, um, you can do it on your PC, on your computer as well, and you can start it at any point. Uh, If you download the app and then you go on the menu of the app, you can say, I want to start on this date. So if you want to say, hey, January 1st of this year, and then you're going to do some catch up to catch up to today the 8th, that's fine. Or you can just say, I want to start it today and start the plan today and start on day one and let today be day one. But here's what you're going to find. Is you're going to go into the app for the reading that day, it's going to have, when you start a new book, it's going to have a video, and I'm going to play part of a video for Genesis. It's going to have a video at the start of each and every book that's going to give you a synopsis of that book. Each book is going to have a video that starts it, and then certain topics are going to have uh, videos that go with it as well. And so you can see through the side there videos uh, that are there. But what I like is this. When you go to the app, it's going to have if there's a video for that day to start the book, you just click on it right in that page and you can watch it. It's going to have your reading there for the day from, the, in this case, Genesis. It's going to have the psalm. It tells you places now breathe and meditate and listen to the word of God. Take time. And then it's going to have any other uh, videos that might go with the topic. And then you just click, after you've done all that and read it, you click the check mark at the bottom of the page. It's is simplest I've found and the most integrated I've found in a reading plan uh, to date. I've been kind of waiting for someone to come up with something like this that would integrate everything from your reading plan to extra uh, uh, materials that would kind of support it uh, to, um, to just across platforms and everything. And this does it as well as anything I've seen, the Bible Project. And so we're encouraging you this year as a reading plan and as a way of doing this to walk through it using the Bible project. We're going to, in the loop emails that we send out, we're going to send out updates and each week you'll see here's the readings for this week to remind you uh, where we are in the reading plan Um, and you'll be able to track with us and follow with us on that as well. So you can use any number of plans. We've handed them out. You can Google and find all kinds of Bible reading plans. Uh, But as we come across resources that we think are helpful to you, uh, we're going to pass those on to you. And I encourage you this year to try the Bible Project. We're also going to get some of the posters that go along with this that share the larger story over time. We'll have those, and and we'll show you what those are. They display it over time, and we'll have those displayed in our building. Uh, It's a great resource for you. So the Bible Project app. Um, It uses the uh, English Standard Version text, and it's a great resource for you. So especially young people, I know we've got our middle schoolers in here today, our youth and our students in here. We didn't have grapple today. One of the reasons is because we want them doing this as well. Um, Start the reading plan. You have an iPad, you've got a phone, you've got a computer, you've got access to something, I encourage you to start this reading plan as well and challenge you to how you're going to do this. Because in 2018, the person that you'll be to start that year is going to be very much determined by what you do this year. And I think, as much as anything, it's going to be determined by what you do with God's word this year. And if you want to be the type of person who will keep your way pure, who will not sin against God, who will resist temptation, that I don't know any other tool that I can recommend to you but being in God's word. So whatever you did last year, um, I encourage you to make a new commitment this year to reading God's word and having it in you, to learning it, to loving it, and to living it. I'll close with um, this illustration that I came across. It's from a book called The Social Animal by David Brooks. Uh, It talks about chess players, it says a series of highly skilled players and a series of non-players, chess players, were shown a series of chess boards for about five to ten seconds each. Later, the grandmasters could remember every piece on every board. The average players could only remember about four or five pieces per board. Why did the chess grandmasters have such an amazing ability to remember the pieces? They did not have superior IQs or better memories. Instead, Brooks explains it this way. The real reason the grandmasters could remember the game boards so well is that after so many years of study, they saw the boards in a different way. When average players saw the boards, they saw a group of individual pieces. When the masters saw the boards, they saw formations. Instead of seeing a bunch of letters on a page, they saw words, paragraphs, and stories. Expertise is about forming internal connections so that the little pieces of information turn into bigger networked chunks of information. Learning is not merely about accumulating facts. It is about internalizing the relationship between pieces of information. Here's the, is why I share that with you. Because you might say, well, I've read the Bible before. I'm, t- I'm ready to move on. You know, I've read it through. I've read it through a number of times. You know, give me something new. Give me something else. You know, I, I, I've done that. Okay, check. Now what's next? As you read the Bible time and time and time again, what happens is you internalize it. You start to know it in a way that you've never known it before. And suddenly you start to be able to look at life in a way that you've never seen it. And you find yourself understanding and seeing life and seeing things connect through the Word of God such that you can walk through life and know how to live because of the Word of God that you've committed in your life. I know I've seen it in my life. All of a sudden, you're making a decision that you think, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have made that decision. Why is it? Because of the spirit of God in you and the word of God that you have learned. Committing yourself to that word. Becoming a master of it in your life. Learning it. And so maybe you've started a reading plan before. And every Valentine's Day you give up on it. Or maybe you make it a little further than that. Listen, I just think this is important enough don't just say, well, I've tried it before and I haven't been able to keep, you know, I haven't been able to do it. I'll tell you the truth. I tried for many years. I remember through high school, college, I remember thinking, I'm gonna, this is gonna be the year I'm gonna get all the way through it. And it just didn't happen. One thing or another, I just didn't do it. And it was years later that I was able to have the discipline to sit down, read through it, For the first time in a year and then it just starts becoming easier starts becoming habits starts becoming who you are but if you've tried it before don't give up don't it's too important this is God's gift to you on how to live your life and so I love that we're here on Sundays and we gather together to study and sit under this word but you need more than that you need to be in it every day you need it in your life So don't let the Bible be a book that you buy and don't read. If you do, you are neglecting the greatest resource God has given you against temptation, the greatest resource God has given you to live a pure life and to keep yourself pure before him. Would you stand with me and let's pray? This morning's Call and commitment is simple. I've been making it for the last 15 minutes. Would you commit to read through the Bible in 2017? Would you make that commitment this morning on January 8th that you will commit to reading through the scriptures? Use the Bible project. Use some other plan. But would you commit to a plan in 2017 to read the scriptures, to learn it, to ask God to help you to love it, and to give you the strength to live it. Father, we come before you today. Lord, and we come humbly before you, recognizing that we fall so far short often of who you've called us to be. But Lord, when we fall short, let it not be because we have neglected the greatest resource that you have given us, Lord. Father, I pray as a church that we would be a people who would learn your word that you've given us, who would love the word that you've given us, and who would live it, not because it's words on a page and we worship a book, but because they are the words of our loving Father to us, of who you are, and of how you have designed our lives, and how you have designed this world for us to live. Lord, it's a, it's a matter of trust and faith. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, for those men and women in here who have tried to do it before and haven't been able to. Lord, I ask that this year would be the year that you would give them the strength and fortitude to be able to do that, not just to check off a box, but, Lord, to go deeper and further in their walk with you. Lord, I pray for those who have read through it many, many times that this year, as they do it again, that you would reveal truth to them, that you would show them things they have never seen before, that you would call them to places of obedience and places of commitment that they've never taken before. Father, I pray for all that will happen this year, those people who experience hurt and pain, that as they find themselves in your word, that you would comfort them, lead them, those who will be looking for direction, I pray that as they look into your word, they will hear the voice of their father leading them, guiding them all the way, Lord. Those who experience loss as they look to your word, that they would find the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Oh, God, we look for answers in so many other places. Lord, help us to be a people that find them in you and in the word you've given us. Help us to do that and be that people in Jesus' name. Amen.